0: Well, hi kids, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old-time radio podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. This was a Boomer Boulevard show we first played back on the 26th of February in 2018. Hope you enjoy the show. <laughs>
1: It's half past 8 exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now.
1: Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go.
0: Chester, you have everything lined up, ready to go? Chester? Chester? What What are you doing? Chester has a uh, little bit of spring fever there. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Chester has got spring fever. I guess we all do. We've had a whole week of rain here in the St. Louis area. And then prior to that, we had a couple days where we had ice And uh, today it was uh, about 60 degrees and sunshiny and beautiful, so everybody is just raring to go. They're saying that most of the cold weather behind us, although more rain is coming. Glad to have you aboard. This is uh, the old-time radio show where we play programs that we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. And tonight we've got a great lineup. We have a Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. We're going to follow that up with an episode of the Bickersons because so many of you have said, Could we please get more Bickersons? And then, of course, we're going to finish things up on the streets of Dodd City with a very, very adult version of Gunsmoke. So it's a great lineup. Make yourselves comfortable because we're going to get started in just a minute. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell everybody, I I had mentioned last time that we try to give you an update on some of our numbers. Uh, When I said that two weeks ago, I was uh, kind of impressed that we were just about to go over 20,000 listens. Now we're well over 21,000 listens. So people are really listening to the show. We've only been doing this podcast for a little over a year. Now, by NPR standards or big commercial podcast, that would be nothing, 20,000 visits. But considering that this is just a labor of love, something that we do, Chester and I do here, you know, we haven't done anything to market the program. And yet here we have 20,000 listens. Our, our shows have been listened to twenty over 21,000 times. And to me, that's just amazing, just amazing. Of course, most of the listeners have been in the United States, but we've also had Well over 100 listeners in Canada, in Japan, in the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Ireland, Germany, Indonesia. Excuse my squeaky chair here. uh, Australia and India. That's the top 10. Then also France, Belgium, the Russian Federation, Portugal, Myanmar, Israel, Bangladesh, Switzerland, Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela. Okay, I guess Venezuela. And I'm just so impressed that uh, so many people have discovered the show. And we've got listeners in San Francisco, in Phoenix, and Roswell, New Mexico, Lumberton, North Carolina, Ashburn, Virginia, Tokyo, Japan, Winnipeg, Canada, San Jose, California, Tempe, Arizona, London, United Kingdom, uh, Los Angeles, California, Calgary, Canada, Warwick, New York. Had a number of listeners in Warwick, New York, and <laughs> that one kind of impressed me because... I used to live in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I used to go up to the area around Warwick a lot. We'd go up to Patterson, up to uh, uh, Wallkill, up in that area. I had some good friends up in that area, and I have a feeling I know a number of people that live up there now that listen. So if you're listening, I I really appreciate it. And one of these days, I'm going to get up to Warwick, and maybe somebody there could send me a note and say they'd be willing to show us around, Carol and I. If we went up, I I would love to do that. But also in Houston, Texas, uh, Forest, Mississippi. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I just hope that the numbers continue to grow and that we can uh, even perhaps add more shows as time goes ahead. I've been thinking about adding like a half an hour show sometime midweek, where we would just feature like maybe a western or maybe a comedy or something like that. But Uh, We'll think about it. But anyway, you can always drop me a line at bob at boomer boulevard dot com. And I would definitely love to hear from you. (laughs) This first show we're going to play tonight, uh, I originally played back, I think it was in 2010, on another uh, program I used to do that's not even on any of my websites. So I was going to play the episode tonight, and I kind of liked the comments I made back then, so I thought, well, we'll just play it with those original comments. So this is going to be an episode of the Tales of the Texas Rangers, and the comments before and after the show that you're going to hear were those I originally made back, I think it was 2009 or 2010.
3: There's a yellow rose in Texas.
4: But I am going to see No other soldier knows her No soldier, only me She
5: cried so when I left her It like to broke my heart And if I ever find her We never
4: more will part She's the sweetest rose of color The soldier ever knew her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest may, sing of Rose of me, but the yellow rose of Texas is the only one for me.
6: Tales of the Texas Rangers!
0: We're going to start things off down in Texas with Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McCrae. And this one tonight also features Lou Krugman, Paul Fries, Herb Ellis, Byron Kane, and Tony Barreth. Pretty good story. Uh, kind of gives you some historical perspective as they were finding oil down there. All of a sudden, these wildcatters would go in and find oil, and then a town would pop up. With that, in the early days, probably with these towns, like the Gold Rush towns, it was mostly the men that went in there to work. And then if things were successful, they would bring their wives and families. And, you know, one of the wonderful things about we men is when we get off by ourselves, we have such high moral standards. Because all of a sudden, what pops up in an overnight town that's filled with men All kinds of vice. In fact, Jason the boys are out doing a cleanup, which is the name of the episode. And this one was originally heard on NBC back on September the 30th in 1950. And this must have been one of the uh, last episodes of the previous year, because as you hear at the uh, end of the show, the following week the show is being moved from Saturday nights to Sunday nights. On NBC So here it comes From 1950 Tales of the Texas Rangers And the episode Cleanup
6: Presenting Joel McRae As Jace Pearson In Tales of the Texas Rangers Tales of the Texas Rangers Authentic stories From their official files Texas more than 260,000 square miles And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. Now, from the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on facts. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, clean up.
7: Several years ago, the town of Kilman, Texas, boasted a population of slightly under 3,000 inhabitants until a wildcat gusher started a fabulous new oil boom. In a matter of months, the population rose to 12,000 as drillers, roughnecks, and other field personnel poured in. And behind them, like vultures, came the horde of racketeers, gamblers, and grifters. But even organized vice was not profitable enough for the boss of the crime syndicate, Frankie Gennaro. Gennaro started to move in on the oil business itself
8: They're sure Paul is alone, Stetson? Yeah, Frankie. In the shack with the light. What have we been getting from him? Herb's got the figures. Yeah, he's got uh, four wells in production. We've been getting 200 barrels a day. So what's his beef? He's still getting plenty? He choked the wells down. Says he won't pay off anymore. Yeah, we'll see about that. You better come in too, Herb. Yeah, okay, Frankie. Don't knock open it. Hey, what's the idea of busting in here? No idea, Paul. I hear you've had some kind of a misunderstanding with my boys here. There's no misunderstanding, Gennaro. You're just not getting any more oil from my wells. I'm not taking any more threats from you or your tin horn friends. Watch what you're saying, Paul. I'll say what I want. I'll not only say it to you, I'll say it to the law. Your mouth's got a loose trigger, Paul. It shoots off too easy. Right,
9: get out. Get out of here before I bend this pipe wrench over your head. Hey, I'm starting Let go of me... Grab him, Frankie. Let me go. He's got a knife. Let him have it, Herb.
8: Ah.
7: Oh. He clipped me with that wrench.
8: Well, they won't do it again, such. This will teach the other operators not to get smart. Come on, Herb. Yeah. Let's get out of here. <laughs>
7: The death of Joe Powell sealed the lips of other frightened oil operators. And they said nothing as Frankie Gennaro continued to exact tribute from the smaller private companies. But Powell's murder aroused special interest of the
10: Texas Rangers. Captain Stinson sent for Ranger Jace Pearson. You know what's been happening in Kilman since the oil boom started, Jace? Yeah, I've heard. I've got Rangers in the town, of course. Good men. But they're too well-known. We're being blocked all the way by people who won't talk or who are afraid to talk. I've never worked the Kilman district. I'm not known there. Well, that's why I sent for you. I want Kilman cleaned up, starting with Joe Powell's murder. But a man wearing a badge won't stand a chance. You want me to work without one? That's right, Jace. But not alone. We got a new man just transferred into the company, Steve Clark. You can work together. Good. You better brief me on the Powell murder. Well, all we've got is in the next room. have a look. Ah, uh, here's some photographs taken at the murder scene. Hmm.
11: Stabbed in the back. A belt and shirt twisted, though. Powell must have put up a fight before he went down. He fought all right. Look at this wrench. Yeah. And blood stains and a few matted hairs on it. this the same wrench that was next to the body in the photos? The same one. Powell must have hit somebody with it before he was killed then. It looks that way. That means two or more men ganged up on him. He dropped one with a wrench and then the other one stabbed him. That's the way I see it.
10: Yeah, blood on the wrench been typed? Yeah. Here's a report from the lab at Austin. Typo, huh? Brown hair, Caucasian male. Micrometer measurements are there, too. And that's all we've got, Jase. How about a list of undesirables hanging out in Kilman? Oh, yeah, I got that, too. Here. Mostly petty crooks, gamblers, and muscle men. Our boys run a few out, and new ones come in. Must be one man at the top, though. Usually is, but which one? Uh, A few possibilities on your list here. This one, uh, Stutz Tracy? No, no, he's not big enough to be given the orders. Does he know you by sight? No, I just know a few of these names by reputation and photos. Now, here's another bad one. Herb Enfield. Yeah,
11: I heard about him, too. Plenty. Supposed to be a real vinegarone. He's tougher than the
10: back end of a shooting gallery. Yeah. Well, he's not smart enough to cover up for himself. The only other possible boss I can see is this one: Frankie Gennaro. Uh-huh. Got lots of arrests and a couple of indictments. No convictions. On the surface, his record's clean. He always has an alibi, and it always stands up. Well, I guess I'd better get started. Right. We'll go over to the barracks and I'll introduce you to Steve Clark. You'll want to change your clothes anyhow. Yeah. Well, the first job is to locate key men. When we find out who's making
11: the wheels turn, we can put our badges on again and move in with a force. Well, the whole company will be
10: standing by. You better warn the rangers in town not to let on they know me. Well, they've been warned. You'll be treated just like a stranger. If you have anything to report, contact me directly. But be careful. And you better leave your car outside the town and just meander in on horses. Cowpokes? Yeah, just a couple of wandering cowpokes.
11: I met Steve Clark. We dressed like a couple of cowpokes and and parked our car outside of Kilman. It was almost midnight when we rode in. Town was sprawled all over the map, dotted with trailers and crude shacks thrown together from tin and old packing crates. Despite the hour, everything was going full blast.
12: Plenty alone,
11: I am. Sure is booming, Jace. Yeah. The hotel down the ways looks especially lively. But that isn't legal liquor they're taking on around here. Yeah, I bet there isn't much of
9: anything here that is legal.
11: A bunch of oil trucks coming through. You better get out of the way. Get over, charcoal. Come
9: on, boy. Over, boy, over. Over.
11: Seems to me that it's kind of late for them to be hauling oil. Ought to be a daytime
9: operation. Might be a shortage of trucks, Jase. Everything has to be hauled. No pipelines to the refineries yet. You think it might be hot oil? Maybe. We don't know why Joe Powell was
11: killed, but if somebody had been stealing his oil and Powell found out about it, we'd have a pretty
9: good motive. Yeah. But if those trucks are hauling stolen oil, they're being pretty open about it. Oh, oh boy, Listen to that racket,
11: Yeah, Being pretty open about everything around here. Boy, you talk too much. Come on, Clark. Let's get us a room. I want to call the captain and find out about these night-riding trucks. Any plan we had about staying at the hotel was cut short by the desk clerk. There wasn't a room available in the town. We hung around for about an hour before we found a rancher who told us we could bunk down in the loft of his barn outside of the town.
9: Cleaning that mess up isn't gonna be
11: easy, Jason. It's gonna be even tougher than it looks, Clark. Notice what happened when the sheriff and one of the
9: rangers they know walked in? Yeah, and all the gambling stopped five minutes before they got there and all the liquor disappeared. Whoever's running that place knew they were coming. No wonder
11: our men haven't been able to get any place. We could have stopped that place from operating, Chase. We saw what was going on. That yeah, wouldn't do any good to show a badge and shut down one spot. we got to shut them all. But first, got to
9: hook them all together. Yeah, guess you're right. Hey, look over there. Roadside phone booth by that gas station. Are you still going to call Captain Stinson? Yeah, it's a good spot. station's closed. Well, I'll take the horses back off the road and wait. Good.
6: got through to
11: Captain Stinson at his home. But what he had to say about the trucks wasn't encouraging.
10: Yes, Jeez, we've had reports on the trucks. They run every night.
11: Have our men ever stopped any of them? Yes,
10: but they seem to be all right, Jeez. They have receipts for everything they're carrying, and the trucks are properly licensed.
11: I still can't see why they're running at night.
10: Neither can I, but there's no law against it.
11: Hasn't the commission set a limit on the number of barrels each well can pump in a day?
10: Yes, each well is allowed 300 barrels a day, as long as the present pressure holds.
11: Have the operators been accounting for that much oil each day?
10: Yes, the commission keeps a careful check. Operators report production of 300 a day. The trucking company receipts show haulage of 300 a day. And the figures at the refineries tally, too. It's a three-way check, Jase. I don't see how they could beat it.
11: I'm still convinced that Powell's death has something to do with hot oil.
10: Well, I can't help you there, Jase. It's all in your lap.
11: I'm hoping to match the hair the lab found on that wrench Powell used. But I need a motive to narrow down the field. (laughs) Twelve thousand people in town make a lot of suspects.
10: Well, do the best you can.
11: I will. I'm sending you a list of names. Men we spotted running gambling games and selling liquor at the hotel. We'll have to let them run for a while... Till we move in with a big broom. We'll
13: raise dust whenever you're ready.
11: For three days, I left Steve Clark wandering around town, spotting the rackets, while I rode through the oil field at night, striking up casual conversations with the pumpers wherever I saw one of the night riding trucks load up and leave. Howdy.
8: Well, howdy. A little bit off your trail, ain't you, car poke? Yeah. <laughs>
11: Ah, just riding around, wishing some of this land was mine.
8: <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all wishing the same thing. They're just going to have a donut and a little coffee. Uh, Want to come? Yeah,
11: if your friends on the truck didn't drink it all.
8: Them fellas, they're always in too much of a hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tie a horse to the derrick there. He'll be all right. Thanks. There you are.
11: Thanks. Yeah, a funny hour for making oil pickups... What makes them haul so late? Oh, I don't know. They always take a full load?
8: Uh-huh.
11: Uh, 100 barrels a clip, that's a full tank truck. Yeah. And Field storage tanks hold 1,000 barrels each, don't they?
8: Uh-huh. Uh, want a donut? No, thanks.
11: With a few more pumpers, then rode out to the barn where Clark and I were bunking. I woke him up.
9: Oh, oh. <laughs> oh boy, Chase, what time is it? Almost six. What'd you find out? Oh, I'm stretched here. Yeah, <laughs> well, got another flock of names you can send on to the captain. Here you are.
11: Hmm. Yeah, we got just about every small time hood staked out. Everything but the head man. Chase. I'm not so sure there is a head man. There's got to be. All the racketeers stick to their own game in their own part of town. They're all protected by the same muscle men. Yeah? So? So they belong to an organization. Otherwise, they'd be fighting among themselves, trying to move in on each other. Yeah. Didn't think of that. Dipping a finger in the oil business here, too. I'd swear to it. And that's big. We find the man on top of that, we'll have the kingpin of the entire operation. Well, I'll keep looking around, Chase. No. No, let the town go for a while. From now on, we'll concentrate on the wells. When we get the man responsible for killing Powell, the whole thing will tumble like a house of cards. We staked ourselves out at Powell's wells. For two days, we kept check around the clock on every load of oil that was hauled away, watching from a distance. It was a dead-end watch.
9: Yeah, it checks out, Jase. Four wells, 300 barrels each per day, 1,200 barrel total.
11: And that's what they've hauled away. Yeah, but since we've been here, nothing's been hauled from Powell's wells at night. Yeah, gonna keep watching them? Just for tonight, so we can measure the flow from the wells. You can keep the pumper busy for a while at 9 o'clock while I run a tape gauge into the storage tank. You'll have to check them again later. Yeah, I'll wander up and keep the pumper busy around 3 a.m. Then you can make the second check compare our figures and we'll know if those wells are really choked for 300 barrels each or if they're pumping more in the legal quota. Okay, Jase. Let's hope it works. We made the check, but we didn't have to do much figuring. The wells were on the nose. 300 barrels a day each, not a drop more.
9: Well, that's it, Chase. And the refinery reports show that it's all going through. There's no hot oil to be accounted for. Well, it was a thought. Let's get the horses and turn in. Yeah. Guess Paul just happened to brush somebody the wrong way. Yeah. That oil angle would have helped plenty. Too bad. Hey, wait a minute, Huh? Hmm? It's a car coming.
10: Hey, yeah.
11: He's turning up the road toward that rigging over there. Riggin isn't lit. Nobody's working there. It was a dry hole. Get low. Yeah. His lights will sweep this way when he turns.
9: Hey, stopped at the dry hole, all right. Yeah.
11: And look, Powell's pumper's walking across the field to meet him.
9: Yeah, they're going up to the knowledge
11: house on the rig. It's a funny place to be holding a meeting at this time of night. It's a cinch they don't want to be seen. That pumper knows more than he told us. Come on. What's the plan, Chase? Maybe we can slip under the platform of the rigging without them seeing us. If we can get under the knowledge house, we may learn a few things through the floorboards. We crept through the muddy channel that drained into the slush pit and got under the knowledge house. We were hidden, but we could hear them. The trucks will
7: start making pickups again tomorrow night. Here? Why not? Unless you think you're going to
9: object. I can't. Powell changed the chokes before... Before the... Before his accident? Yeah. All right, sir. How can I give you any ore? Well,
7: they're only pumping regular quarters. Have the chokes changed again. So they pump a little extra. I can't. Not without Miss Powell's okay. I'm working for her now. Maybe you didn't hear me. I said change the choke. Oh, I'm afraid, Stutz.
1: Must be Stutz Tracy, Jason.
9: Yeah. Well, don't oh, yeah. look at me like that, Stutz.
7: You know I'm on a spot. Listen, you, we've got the operators in this field lined up. We don't intend to have any trouble with a wise guy pumper. No, 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 no wait a minute, Stutz, wait a minute. Yeah. What, what, what'd you, what'd you have to hit me for? It? Just to make you think. That's only a sample. Maybe you'd like what Paul got. Oh,
9: don't talk like that, Stutz. I'll do what you say. Just, just tell me what you want me to do.
7: I've already told you. The trucks will roll tomorrow night. Yeah.
6: Don't disappoint us. Don't forget. Yeah, tomorrow.
9: He knows what happened to Paul, Jase. Let's grab him. No, no, stay down.
11: He's not the head man. But I wonder why we haven't been seeing him around.
1: Wish I could have gotten a look at his face. His voice sounded familiar. Yeah, you've seen mugshots of him in the photos we have. Hey, the fellow with the broken nose. That's right.
11: Have you seen him around?
1: Yeah, I think I have.
11: Shh. Pumper's leaving. All right, how about it? You seen Stutz?
9: Yeah, only this afternoon at the hotel. He was talking to Frankie Gennaro.
11: That's the first time either of us has seen him since we've been here.
9: I heard him talking to Gennaro. He said he'd been up to Big D.
11: In Dallas? What was he up there
9: for? Well, that wasn't mentioned. They didn't talk much. All I know is that Stutz just got back. He'd been gone
11: two weeks. Ah, come on. We can get out of here now. Gone two weeks, huh? In other words, since Powell got killed. Yeah, what do you make out of that, Jason? he doesn't know just something about Powell's murder. I got a hunch he was in on it. Powell clipped one of his attackers with that pipe wrench, remember? Must have left a mark. And if Stutz had that mark, he wouldn't hang around and give people a chance to notice it. Is that it? Two weeks it'd just to be about long enough for a scar to heal over. We gotta get a sample of Stutt's hair to match with the hair samples Lab got off that wrench. Well, how do we get that? Get our hands on a comb or brush, anything he's used on his head. First, we gotta find him. Well, he may have headed back to the hotel. That's a favorite hangout. Yeah, we'll try it. But on the way into town, I wanna call the captain. Yeah. Come on, Charcoal. Come on, boy. What are you gonna call the captain for? Find out who owns the trucks hauling the oil and what refinery they're going to. See if we can hook the ownership up with any of the people we've been watching here. Why? Well, because records have been falsified to cover that hot oil. We find out who's changing them, and we'll know who Stutz is working for and who killed Powell. Chase hot oil won't prove murder. No, but once we link Stutz as an accomplice in the murder, I got a feeling he'll squeal like a pig caught under a gate. <laughs> made my call to Captain Stinson. He arranged to have the trucks followed and the ownership checked. Then Clark and I headed for the hotel, where business was going on as usual. There he is, Jace, at the counter. They're
9: using it as a bar.
11: Uh-huh. Herb Enfield and Frankie Janelle. There's a the
9: trio the warden at Huntsville would love to have. Well, maybe you'll get him later on. Well, what do we do, just wait around until Stutz combs his hair? No. Look, on the stool beside him. What? Oh, his hat. Is it his? That's uh, the one he was wearing when I saw him this afternoon.
11: Good. There'll be enough hair strands in it or a little clippings in the band to tell us what we want to know. Chase, how do we get it? Yeah, I'll call for a drink and crowd him. You just grab it and fade. You want me to take it back to the barn? No. Well, there's a small airfield near the next town. Get it over there and call the Austin lab and have it picked up. They can report to Captain Stinson. When I call him in the morning, he should have enough for us to start dropping the net.
10: Tracy is the man Powell hit with that wrench, all right.
11: Good. You get a line on the trucking company and the refinery?
10: Yes, you like it. The trucking company is owned under an alias by Herb Enfield and his wife. Good. And the refinery is owned by a woman. We checked on her, Jace. She's Frankie Gennaro's girlfriend.
11: Now, that does it. When are you coming in?
10: Well, the whole company's standing by right now, ready to roll.
11: Well, then come ahead and throw up roadblocks on the way. An awful lot of people are going to want to leave here in a hurry.
10: We're ready to comb the town, Chase. You got a section for Clark and me? Take your choice. You know who I want. Good. Go ahead. The rest of the men have their assignments, names you supplied. Listen, you people! All of you! Now, most of you are decent folks. Go home and stay home. The streets may not be safe for the next couple of hours, but by tonight, you'll have your town back. we use the hotel for a jail. All right, let's go. You men in there, you're surrounded. Come out with your hands up. All right, come on, get moving. All
1: right, all of
9: you, up against the wall. And don't anybody reach for a gun. Anybody else want to try that? <laughs>
11: All right, Stutz, on your feet. Uh, what do you cowpokes want? We're not cowpokes. We're Texas Rangers. Rangers. But get, get up. up, get up. You're coming over to the hotel lobby. We'll tell you all about it. Well, oh, that's quite a hole, Jace. Yeah. But I can't locate Herb Enfield and Frankie Gennaro. Clark's holding Stutz Tracy in that side room, though. He might know where the others are. You got the photos of the hair samples lab matched? Yeah, here. Good. I'll show these to Stutz. They should convince him. He say anything yet, Clark? Chase, not a buzz. I'm not going to say anything either. Stutz, I got something to show you. Ever seen anything like this before? Take a look at this photograph. What is it? Just a couple of hairs. One on the left came from your hat. We borrowed it last night. Uh, What's the idea? The hair on the right is just like it. Exactly like it. That came from a bloody wrench we found beside the body of Joe Powell. Powell hit you with that wrench, Stutz, and then you killed him. I I was never even near him. That hair and the scar on your head proves you were. But but I didn't kill him. You were there. You know who did. I I was knocked out. I didn't see who... Come on, Stutz. Who was with you? I... Uh, ben Field and... Fra- and Frankie Gennaro. Yeah. Oh, he'll kill me. He's gonna kill me. Gennaro's the boss, then. Yeah. He's got a hideout someplace. Where is it?
7: No, he'll kill me.
11: I but- said, where is it? You, you gotta protect me. Uh.
7: There's, there's a cabin up past the Red Cedars, other side of the oil field. That's where
11: he's been living. You'll have a clear view of the road up there, Jason. We uh, won't use the road. Oh. We'll ride right up from behind. Is Enfield there, too? Yeah. Yeah, they're always together. Jace,
9: they may not even know we moved in on the town. They'll know soon. Yeah, there's a the cabin, Chase. Pretty fancy.
11: Yeah, it ought to be. They've milked plenty out of this town. Yeah. Cow's running dry for him now, though. Hey, somebody around the side of the cabin there in a hammock. That's Gennaro. Nice silk robe. He's in for a change of wardrobe he isn't going to like. He's getting up, Chase. He sees us.
8: You looking for something?
11: Yeah. You're wanted in town.
8: That's Tracy send you for me?
11: Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Enfield, too.
8: Anything wrong in town?
11: I don't think so. You see anything wrong, Clark? No. No, I thought everything was fine.
8: Hey, Herb! Yeah, Frankie? Sutch wants us in town. Sent these fellas
14: out to tell us. Oh.
9: I... I've seen you two around before, haven't I? Mm.
14: Hey, what's that on your shirt,
9: cowpoke?
11: Oh, that's just a Texas Ranger badge. Come on, both of you. You're going into town. You You Perfect!
8: You, uh, fellas mind telling me what you think you've got on me? Well, let's start with the killing of Joe Powell. (laughs) Oh, I can prove I was someplace else when Powell was killed. Herb and Stutz and I were playing cards with three other men all night long.
11: Not this time, Gennaro. What do you mean? We've already proven where Stutz was, and he's made a full confession. There'll be no alibis this time. Don't move, Gennaro. Look
8: out for we, no, no, don't we, don't don't we don't want to fight.
11: Shouldn't oh. fool around with a gun, Herb. knife in the back is your specialty.
8: Oh my I... Glad to see you know that I didn't kill Powell.
11: Sure, Gennaro, you're the boy with the brains. You don't do the work; you order it.
8: That's something you can't prove.
11: No, you don't think Herb is going to take all the blame, do you? You're not going to set me up, Gennaro.
8: Shut up! I want a lawyer.
11: I can understand that. I never saw a fellow who needed one more. All right, get moving.
8: Take it easy.
7: Frankie Gennaro and Herb Enfield were sentenced to life terms at Huntsville. Stutz Tracy was given 50 years, and lesser offenders in the Kilman cleanup were given sentences of from one to five years. Those who were released without being charged left the town of Kilman quickly and quietly. The cleanup was complete.
6: And now, here again is the star of our show, Joel
11: McRae. Folks, here's a special announcement I think you'll be interested in. You'll next hear Tales of the Texas Rangers, beginning Sunday, one week from tomorrow. Yes, we're moving to a brand new time on Sundays, beginning Sunday, October 8th. I hope you'll make it a point to hear us at our new time, beginning in just eight days. Good night, folks. See you next Sunday.
6: A week from Sunday, Joel McCray in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McCray is currently seen starring in the MGM production Stars in My Crown. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Lou Krugman, Paul Fries, Tom McKee, Herb Ellis, and Byron Kane. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. This is Hal Gibney speaking and reminding you to be with us again at our new time, one week from tomorrow, Sunday, October 8th.
15: Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Next Saturday at this time, Dennis Day returns to the air. Dennis Day's comedy is always refreshing because he appears so timid and bewildered. But one thing that doesn't bewilder Dennis is how to sing a popular ballad or rhythmical novelty. So for comedy and songs, it's Dennis Day at this time next Saturday. That day also marks the return of the Judy Canova Show. And tomorrow, Phil Harris and Alice Faye
0: return to NBC. So there you have it. From September the 30th, 1950, is originally heard on the NBC radio network. That was Tales of the Texas Rangers. The name of that episode was Clean Up. You know, they turned that into a TV show. And when do you think it played? Saturday nights? Sunday nights? No, it played Saturday morning. It was literally aimed toward kids, and it was just a shoot 'em up which was totally contrary to the radio show, which was a procedural police drama. In fact, people have likened it to a Western dragnet, which kind of makes sense to me, and one of the reasons I think I like the show so much. Lord knows Joel McRae was not a very exciting guy, uh, at least as an actor. I don't suppose he was a bad actor. I like him in this, but I've, I've never quite figured out why. On the TV show, they, uh, they developed a theme song called These Are the Tales of the Texas Rangers, which was sung to the tune of The Eyes of Texas Are Upon You, which, by the way, is sung to the tune of I've Been Working on the Railroad. I don't know why they made all those changes. But, of course, our greatest claim to fame with Tales of the Texas Rangers is the show was uh, based on the career, it is said, Emanuel T. Lone Wolf. (coughs) Gonzalez, who was a Texas Ranger for 30 years and who was said to have killed 31 men during his career. I guess that was back when you shot first and asked questions later. What a man. Lone Wolf. (coughs) Gonzalez.
16: I
13: only
16: met you just a couple of days ago I only met you and I want your loving so, Ginny, come lately Sweet, sweet as can be You may have come lately But Ginny, come lately You're the one for me I only had to see the sunlight in your hair Your soft, soft silhouette to know I'd always care Ginny, come lately Sweet, sweet as can be You may have come lately But Ginny, come lately You're the one for me You only had to smile A little smile Nothing more than Look at me You only had to smile And in a little while I was dreaming recklessly I only met you just a couple of days ago And oh my love for you has no more room to grow Ginny, come lately, my dream come true. You may have come lately, but Ginny, come lately, I'm in love.
4: Rock
0: two big songs from 1962. The first one was Brian Hyland, and a really sweet song called Ginny Come Lately. I had not heard that for years, and I heard it the other day, and I thought, I have got to play that. The other one was by Jay and the Americans, also from 1962, entitled She Cried. Oh, what a gut-wrenching song that is. Boy, it is beautiful, but mm, listen to the lyrics of that one, and I don't know. You don't know exactly what to think.
4: Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy, A comedy tonight. tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing <laughs> with crowns.
17: Bring on the lovers, <laughs> liars, and <laughs>
6: Situation, no complications,
4: nothing potentials or polite. Ready tomorrow, tomorrow. comedy
0: tonight. <laughs> well, on our Comedy Corner this week, we're going to go back and have another episode with that happily married couple, the Bickersons. Now, we've played a couple episodes of The Bickerson's, and and I've received a number of requests for more, more, more. Unfortunately, there's not a lot out there available to play. For those of you that don't remember, let me just bring you up to date about The Bickerson's. These were characters that were created by a writer by the name of Philip Rapp, who had written for Eddie Canner and Fanny Bryce. John and Blanche Bickerson were first created as a short sketch on the Old Gold Show, and then later the Chase and Sanborn Hour. Chase and Sanborn, by the way, was the show that made radio stars out of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Uh, The Bickersons would appear on those shows in short sketches, and then later uh, Don Amici and Francis Langford, who created these roles, were teamed together on a show called the Dream Time Variety Show for Dream Shampoo. And the show was co-hosted by Amici and Langford, and of course it was named for its sponsor. Typically the show would open with uh, Frances Langford singing a big band number. Then she and Amici would do a couple comedy routines. Often they involved uh, Danny Thomas, who was also one of the co-stars on the show. Then they would have another musical number, and then the last 15 minutes of the show would always feature Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson in a segment they called The Honeymoon Is Over. The sketch took up the final 15 minutes of the show and quickly became the most popular feature of the show. A standalone Bickerson radio series ran on CBS during the summer of nineteen fifty one. Amici wasn't available, Lou Parker starred as John Bickerson, and quite frankly, I think he was pretty good. Probably not as good as Don Amici, but I thought he was was really good. Francis Langford did return as Blanche. Lou Parker, uh, you probably know from all sorts of TV shows. He used to be on everything in the 50s and 60s, but probably what he's best known for is portraying the father of Marlo Thomas in the program That Girl back in the 60s. Also, there was a very short run of a Bickerson's TV show, and he was featured as John Bickerson in that. And that's who you're going to hear tonight. This is one of the uh, radio shows from that summer series in 1951. In fact, this one was originally broadcast July 10th, 1951. So here's Lou Parker as John Bickerson, Francis Langford as Blanche. And this one is entitled The Gooseby Vacation. Now, if the name Goosby, uh strikes a a familiar chord from the few episodes we've heard, Blanche is always accusing John of having an eye for Gloria Goosby. So here we go, back to 1951, the Goosby vacation on the Bickerson's. Now, Philip
15: Morris presents Francis Langford and Lou Parker, starring in Philip Rapp's humorous creation, The Bickersons, produced and broadcast, transcribed from Hollywood. (laughs) Now, ladies and gentlemen, here are Francis Langford and Lou Parker as John and Blanche Bickerson in The Honeymoon is over.
17: Come on out from
18: under that car. I want to talk to you. John. What do you want, Blanche? Where's Nature Boy? Who? The cat. I haven't seen him all morning. I think he's lost.
3: He's not lost. He's under the car with me.
18: Where? That black alley cat isn't ours. Nature Boy has a golden coat.
3: That's him. I've been petting him. <laughs>
18: You mean you've been wiping your hands on him? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, John Vickerson.
3: Well, he had no business to come sniffing around while I was changing the brake fluid.
18: fine way you picked to spend your vacation under a car.
3: I'm trying to fix it so we can go for a ride.
18: I don't want to ride in this thing. You've got a whole week off from your job... Why don't you do something with it?
3: What do you want me to do?
18: Go down and collect your unemployment insurance. (laughs) I can't do that. You
3: know I'm getting paid while I'm on my vacation.
18: Well, you're not getting as much as you'd get from the unemployment bureau. I can't help it. Why can't you quit your job for a week and collect?
3: If I quit for a minute, they'd never take me back. (laughs) Vacuum clean a salesman or a dime a dozen.
18: Stop waving that oil can around. It's pouring all over the seat. Wipe it up, John.
3: Okay, hand me that cat.
18: You leave him alone. (laughs) How long
3: you're going to be. I'm almost finished. Grab hold of that wire, will you, Blanche? This one? Yeah. Feel anything?
18: No. Why?
3: Nothing. I just wanted to see if it was connected to the battery.
18: John <laughs> Oh,
3: take it easy. The battery is dead anyhow. Now, you're
18: not going to get a new one. You've squandered enough money on this car.
3: What are you talking about? The only things I've bought in the last two years are a windshield wiper and a crank handle.
18: If you didn't throw money away on all those fancy accessories, you could afford a decent car.
3: Nothing wrong with this car. Anybody will tell you that 1932 was a great year for Essex. Better move, Blanche, unless you want to get this paint over you.
18: Are you going to paint the tires?
3: I have to. The tubes are showing through.
18: John, if you take my advice, you'll trade this thing in.
3: I'm not making any trades unless I can get a good deal.
18: Well, how do you know you can't? Have you tried the smiling Irishman?
3: I tried the smiling Irishman.
18: What did he say? He
3: didn't say anything. He laughed out loud.
18: (laughs) Because you're not a good salesman. I'll bet my brother-in-law Barney could make a good trade for you. Barney. Barney's a shrewd businessman. Yeah. He can get things from people.
3: He got plenty for me, all right.
18: <laughs> Wish you were more like him. Hmm. Barney makes good everywhere he goes. Even when he was in the army, he worked himself up to a field marshal.
3: He worked himself up to a buck private.
18: How can you say that? You know very well we got word that he was made a field marshal.
3: He was a private and he was court marshal.
18: <laughs>
3: Not field marshal.
18: Well, what's the difference? Court marshal, field marshal. Stop wasting your time with that pile of junk and come in and have your lunch. Later. But your creamed anchovies are getting cold.
3: I don't want any creamed anchovies. Throw them away.
18: I will not. I've got a good mind to eat them myself. Fine. If I get in detention, it's your fault.
17: Hi, Blanche.
18: Barney, how did you get in here? The front door was locked.
17: I had a key made. What'd you do that for? For your own protection, Blanche. I always check my friend's apartments for prowlers when they're not home. Prowlers? Yeah, and let me warn you: never hide money in the sugar bowl when you're not home, Blanche, because that's the first place a crook looks.
18: How did you know I had money in the sugar bowl?
17: I just guessed it.
18: Well, it's only four dollars.
17: Three sixty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Blanche, have you decided yet where you're going to spend John's vacation?
18: Not yet. Why?
17: Well, I'm in the real estate business now, you know.
18: No, I didn't know that.
17: Oh, just a few exclusive summer rentals. I'm the sole agent for Leo Gooseby's Summer Cottage. Have you ever seen it? No. It would be perfect for you and John. Every modern convenience. Wood stove, oil lamps, and you don't have to go very far for water. It's right in the edge of a swamp.
13: <laughs> oh,
17: I heard it was near a lake. It was, but it dried up. They've like got the most beautiful cactus there now.
18: Well, Barney, I don't... You can think... have the
17: dump for $25 and I'll waive my commission.
18: Well, that is a bargain. But well, I don't know, John hates the country.
17: He don't know what's good for him. The country's healthy, and the altitude might cure his snoring. You think so? Mm-hmm. I haven't slept a single night in four months. You sure look it. <laughs> Believe me, I'm thinking of your health, and I won't make a dime on the deal.
18: Well, I know it would be good for John if he'd only try it. but how am I going to get him up there?
17: Oh, that's easy. Get him to give you a driving lesson, and while you're driving, keep driving right up to the goosebies.
18: Barney, you've got the most wonderful, conniving brain. <laughs>
17: oh, it's nothing. I'll notify Leo that you're going up there. So long, Blanche. Thanks, Barney. Oh, um, uh, by the way, Blanche, as long as you're going to be away for a week, do you mind if I use your apartment? What for? Well, you see, I'm throwing a big poker party tonight for the gang from the United Nations pool hall.
18: Well, I don't think John would like it.
17: <laughs> Blanche, what he don't know won't hurt. Him. Besides, I'll cut you in on my poker winnings.
18: Well, I could use the money. How do you know you're going to win?
17: We're using my card.
18: Here, John, put these in the back seat.
3: Blanche, you're only going to drive around the block. What do you want with three suitcases?
18: I'm taking them to the laundry.
3: What for? They're not dirty.
18: The laundry's inside. Well, you're going to teach me to drive aren't you? Get in. All right. What do I do?
3: Shift to first, let out the clutch, and feed the gas slowly. Have you got that? Yes. Start the car.
18: See, it's too far back.
3: It's not too far back.
18: But I can't see the radiator cap.
3: Why do you want to see the radiator cap?
18: How else can I aim it? <laughs>
3: you steer it. You don't aim it. It's not a weapon.
15: Let's go.
18: Don't rush me. Now, let's see. Put the clutch in. Shift to first. Let the clutch up. Easy. Feed gas There But why aren't we moving?
3: You didn't start the motor
18: <laughs> What motor?
3: The one that comes with the car
18: <laughs> What do you mean, what motor? Don't snap at me
3: I'm not snapping, start the car
18: Oh, all right
3: Wait a minute, stop, stop,
18: stop What's wrong, am I going too fast?
3: You're not moving, take your foot off <laughs> The motor won't start unless you turn on the ignition
18: Where's the ignition?
3: On the dashboard there. The key is in it.
18: Why do you have to lock it? Nobody's going to steal your ignition. (laughs) How's that?
3: Wonderful. Now put it in first. Let the clutch out easy and you'll roll slowly and smoothly. There. Now make a right turn.
18: John, I'm doing so well. Uh, Why can't I keep driving straight?
3: Because you'll be on the highway in two minutes.
18: Well, that's all right. I know a good wide driveway I can turn around in.
3: What driveway?
18: At the Gooseby Summer Cottage.
3: Are you out of your mind? They're a hundred miles from here.
18: Forty-seven. I looked it up on the map.
3: I don't care if they're around the corner. I'm not ruining my vacation by visiting the Goosebys. Move over. I'll turn the car around.
18: Now, wait a minute, John. I'm only doing this for you.
3: What are you talking about?
18: Well, it's business. The goosebys need a vacuum cleaner.
3: You know how I hate the. They need a vacuum cleaner, huh? Yes,
18: and this is your chance to sell them one.
3: Well, why didn't you tell me right away?
18: Well, I didn't think of it till now. Aren't the goosebys fortunate to have a summer cottage?
3: It serves them right.
18: I wish we had a place in the country. It's so nice and healthy.
3: Not for me. The altitude is bad for my sinus. What do you mean? It makes me snore like the devil. <laughs> <laughs>
18: Is on the sink, Blanche. You can wash them after you make the coffee. All right, Gloria. Well, how did John like the idea of renting our cottage? Haven't told him yet. Let's go tell him. John, take that vacuum cleaner off the table. You're sucking up the sauerkraut.
3: (laughs) Just trying to show Leo how it picks up breadcrumbs. I'm convinced. Now, I suppose you folks are anxious to see the rest of the house? Not particularly. Now, this cleaner has a... Come on, Lance.
18: I'll show you around. You'll love the bathroom. It's just a short way down the road.
3: (laughs) Well, John, what do you think of my place? Lots of insects, huh? Oh, just mosquitoes. But when the rain stops, they go outside. Mm
13: -hmm.
15: (laughs) You know, John, they
3: don't build places like this anymore. This interior is solid beaver board. Where's the wall plug? I'd like to show you how this thing works. Please, please, Pickerson, not again. You're acting like a man that's trying to sell me a vacuum cleaner. Huh? You're a little late, old man. Last Friday your brother in law sold me one wholesale. He did? Wait here a minute, Leo. Blanche. Blanche!
18: What's wrong, John?
3: Where did Bonnie get a vacuum cleaner?
18: He borrowed ours last Thursday. Why?
3: He sold it to Leo on Friday.
18: (laughs) Wonderful. Are you going to get him a commission?
3: I'm going to fracture his skull. (laughs) Blanche, why did you tell me that Gooseby's needed a vacuum cleaner?
18: Well, it was the only way I could get you up here.
3: What did I want to get up here for?
18: John, I just wanted you to see the place. We're going to rent it for a week.
3: Get in the car.
18: Now, wait a minute, John. We can't leave now.
3: Are you coming with me or not?
18: John, listen to me, John. You can't drive home now.
3: I wouldn't stay here for a million dollars.
18: You said yourself the tires were so thin you could see the tube.
3: Who cares? I've got a spare in the trunk.
18: No, you haven't. I took it out to make room for the vacuum cleaner.
3: Blanche, you didn't. We're 50 miles from home. Do You realize what could happen without a spare tire? What was that? I don't know, but I hope I'm (laughs) shot.
15: Well, Blanche Bickerson's well-meant plan to spend a week in the country has turned into a nightmare. After wasting three hours trying to fix a blowout on his car, poor husband John has graciously accepted the Gooseby's snarling invitation to spend the night. Unfortunately, the sadly unequipped cabin leaves much to be desired in the way of sleeping accommodations. So the Bickerson's have retired. John is sleeping with Leo Gooseby on the porch, while Blanche doubles up with Gloria. Listen.
18: Are you asleep, Gloria? No. Oh, I hate to impose on you this way. Are you sure you wouldn't rather double up with Leo? I'd sooner see Leo double up by himself. <laughs> John's not sleeping anyway. He's got the most awful condition, Gloria. He's some rare kind of insomnia and keeps us both awake all night. I can just see him lying in that strange bed with Leo, tossing and struggling to get... Mm.
1: Be kidding <laughs>
13: Oh,
3: brother <laughs> That's enough for me Hey,
4: Vickers. John. Uh, John John mm.
6: Yes,
3: dear
13: <laughs> Sit
4: up
3: What's the matter with you, John? Matter? What's the matter? What's the matter with you, Blanche? You look horrible <laughs> I'm not Blanche, I'm Leo. Oh, go to sleep, Leo.
13: <laughs> I
3: can't sleep. The only reason I'm in here is because I had a beef with Gloria. But if I had known that you snore like... this, not so loud, Leo. You'll wake up the dames. First thing you know, you'll have Blanche in here, and then nobody will
15: sleep. <laughs> What's the matter?
14: Don't you two get along either? Get along fine. I don't know. My whole marriage is one big beef. John... Do you ever have words with your wife?
3: Lots of them, but I never get a chance to use them. (laughs) Good night.
14: Oh, nuts, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to sleep in my own room. Who is it? It's
3: me, Leo. I want to sleep in there.
18: Won't it be too crowded?
7: (laughs) You better go in with your husband, Blanche. He's blasting my ears off.
18: Well, turn around while I put my robe on. I knew this setup was no good. Good night.
13: <laughs> John. John Pickett. Cut it out.
3: Stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it. What the devil's the matter with you, Leo? You keep waking me up like that nagging wife of mine.
13: You're even beginning
3: to look like it. Wearing that pink nightgown with Blanche. What happened? Where's Leo?
18: You blasted him out of here. Put out the light. I will not. I haven't closed my eyes.
3: Close them. can
18: I'm worried about the animals at home. If you locked the back door. Cat got out three times last
13: week.
3: Cat won't get out tonight.
18: Where'd you put him?
3: In the bird cage. <laughs>
18: In the birdcage, where's the canary? In the cat. John
13: Pickenson!
18: Stop
3: knocking yourself out. Nothing happened to the canary, and the cat's fast asleep in the oven.
18: Don't scare me like that. Are you sure all the animals are taken care of?
3: I'm sure.
18: Well, how about the fish bowl? Did you heat up the water for the new baby goldfish?
3: I heated his water, gave Miss pablum, burped him twice, and changed his diaper. Now, will you please put out the lights and let me sleep?
18: to sleep a long time ago if it hadn't been for your
3: snoring. Can I help it if I snore?
18: Yes, you can. Dr. Hersey says you snore because you have a long uvula and it flutters against your palate.
3: Put out the lights.
18: He says he can fix it with a very simple operation. Why don't you let him fix it, John?
3: I'll go see him next week.
18: You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on, get up and let Dr. Hersey, pull out your uvular.
3: Are you out of your mind, Blanche? It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not going to let that broken-down horse doctor hack off my uvular. He doesn't hack, he slips. I don't care if he knocks it off with a hockey stick. (laughs) Nobody's going to fool around with my uvular. Put out the lights.
18: Try and come up here in your broken-down car. It's all your fault.
3: My fault? You had some scheming plan to rent this place. I said I didn't want to come.
18: I spent the most miserable three hours in that room with Gloria. She talked so much, I I got hoarse listening. (laughs) She kept trying to pry into our private affairs, but I told her off in no uncertain terms. Believe me, I was outspoken.
3: I don't believe it. What do you mean? Nobody can outspeak you.
18: (laughs) Well, I have to talk sometimes. You do plenty of talking. You sure jabbered away with Gloria. Gloria. Give anything to know what you were talking about.
3: Blanche, they can hear you in the other room.
18: I don't care. I saw you two at the dinner table playing footsies. Footsies? Yes, footsies. I
3: wasn't playing footsies. I was reaching for my shoe under the table and I accidentally brushed against Gloria's cap. What were you doing with your shoes off? I had a bottle of bourbon strapped to my leg and I was trying to pull the cork out with my toes. Are you satisfied?
18: Gown that woman wore tonight. She ought to be arrested. But you loved it, didn't you?
3: Now, don't start that.
18: Anybody can look pretty with the money she spends on clothes. Every time Leo wants a kiss, he has to buy our new dress. Mm. Believe me, you're fortunate. You've got a cheap wife like me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I <laughs> go out of my way to make myself attractive for you, but it's just a waste of time. In years since you paid me a compliment
3: Blanche, you're the most charming, gifted, beautiful And sensible wife in the whole world But you don't love me I must love you Who else would put up with you?
18: <laughs> the way you talk You think you saved me from being an old maid mm. I had more boyfriends than any of the girls in our crowd mm. I could have married any six of them Yep I had my pick
3: And they had their shovels <laughs>
18: They did not They were the wealthiest, handsomest, most intelligent boys in town
3: Then why did you marry me? For spite What'd you have to spite me for?
18: It wasn't you, it was another man
3: Well, you killed two birds with one stone
18: All those promises you made Before you married me, you told me you were well off
3: I was, but I didn't know it
18: You're sorry you married me I can see it in every word you utter You hate me Oh,
3: I don't hate you Well,
18: you don't love me
3: You know I do Well,
18: you never say it I
3: say it a million times a day What do you want me to do? Carry a sign? Yes Okay, I'll take my next week's salary And hire a skywriter To write the words in the sky Honest, John No, madman Bickerson (laughs)
13: Leave
3: me alone And let me go to sleep
18: I can't sleep Why not? I'm never able to sleep In a strange place I'll be up all night. All right. John, what are you doing?
3: I'm packing. Get dressed. We're going home.
18: Home? We can't go home. Why can't we? We have a flat tire and there's no spare. What do
3: I care? We ride home on the rims. Come on, Blanche.
18: Now, wait a minute, John. You're so tired, you can't see straight. You might fall asleep at the wheel.
3: Yeah. It's worth a try. (laughs) We made it. Now we can get some sleep.
18: Wait, John. Before you go in the house, just answer one question. Do you love me?
3: Oh, Blanche.
18: Please, I've got to know. Do you love me, John?
3: Yes, I love you. Now get the bags and let's go in. Wait a minute. Who left that light burning in the living room?
18: I didn't. Must be Prowlers. Prowlers? Yes. We better not go in there, John. Let's go to a hotel and sleep. They might be gone by the time we get back
3: If there's anyone in there, I'll take care of them Give me that jack handle
18: No, wait, John I might as well confess I loaned the apartment to Barney for a poker game With a bunch of his pool room friends
3: What did you do that for? Don't
18: scream at me I didn't want to lend it to him Barney talked me into it
3: He did, huh? Well, I'll take care of Barney and that bunch of bums (laughs) What are you going to do, John? I'm going to throw them out one by one You stand here and start counting as they come flying out Stop counting, Blanche. It's me.
15: And now, once again, here are John and Blanche Bickerson as Francis Langford and Lou Parker.
18: Lou, before I forget, I've been meaning to invite you out to my house. Why don't you come over tomorrow and spend the day with us?
15: Oh, thanks, Francis, but I can't make it tomorrow.
3: You see, I've got a club meeting.
18: Well, how about Thursday or Friday?
3: Mm-mm, sorry, club meeting. <clears throat> Every day? Except Sunday and Monday.
18: Well, what sort of a club is it, Lou?
3: Well, just a bunch of fellas get together, and we pay our dues and then go home.
18: Sounds weird. If you pay dues every day, you must really have a beautiful clubhouse.
3: You should see it. It's called Hollywood Park. <laughs> if you're ever in the neighborhood sometime, drop in and see it. <laughs> Good night, Lou. Good night, Francis. Good night, everyone.
15: The Vickersons came to you transcribed from Hollywood, California. John Holbrook speaking.
0: Well, it was Francis Langford and Lou Parker as the Bickersons. The name of that episode was The Goosby Vacation, and it was originally broadcast July 10th, back in 1951. There was a radio critic for the New York Herald Tribune who wrote a column about the Bickersons in May of 1948, and this is what he said. Blanche is one of the most monstrous shrews of all time. She makes her husband take two jobs, a total of 16 working hours, in order to bring in more money, which she then squanders on minks and the stock market. Meanwhile, John can't afford a new pair of shoes and goes around with his feet-painted black. In the few hours he has to sleep, she heckles him all night, accusing him of not loving her. John's only available weapons to defend himself are insults, and he becomes very good at them. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that's a little strong. Of course, we didn't hear all of the shows. There's so many episodes of the Bickersons that uh, we haven't heard, so I guess I would reserve judgment. It seems to me there's blame to go around on both sides, but uh, she would be difficult to live with, but I guess he would be too. Michi and Langford didn't completely abandon the characters that made them famous as a comedy team. Columbia Records released three long-playing albums entitled one, The Bickersons, two, The Bickersons' Fight Back, and three, The Bickersons' Rematch, which I think was a double album that featured newly recorded performances of some of their original radio scripts. And, of course, The Bickersons inspired a whole host of uh, sitcoms, but probably the most recognized one, and the one that is probably most identified with it, was The Honeymooners with uh, Jackie Gleason and Audrey Meadows. I wish I could say we'd have more episodes of The Vickersons coming up, and I'm sure we will find one from time to time. I sure would like to get my hands on some of those albums. Uh, If you happen to see any of them out there, would you let me know? Just drop me a note at bob at boomerboulevard.com.
19: Had a heart So you came up to me and asked me my name. You beat me to the front. That time you beat me.
12: Concentrate on Johnny and Jen Cause I love him And I pray that someday he'll love me And together we will see How lovely Pray that some day here
0: And we just heard a couple more big hits from 1962. The first one by Mary Wells. Man, she was in her right in her stride then. I think she had two or three on the uh, top uh, 100 in uh, 1962, right in that era. But that one was called Beat Me to the Punch. started off as a really sweet song. You thought, oh, what a nice love song. And it ends up that, that this guy was cheating on her. But she beat him to the punch and left him first. It's funny. Sometimes you listen. To, sometimes you just hear those songs, and you don't listen to the lyrics. But when you listen to the lyrics, you realize that this is they're singing about something maybe even totally different than you imagined. And that second song was by Shelley Fabray. Oh, what a teenage heartthrob she was! Remember, she played Mary on the Donna Reed Show. Paul Peterson played her brother Jeff. Donna Reed played Donna Stone, and Carl Betts played. Doctor Stone—I forget what his first name was right offhand—but that was a very popular show. As I recall, it came on right after *Ozzy and Harriet*. I think it was an ABC show. But oh my goodness, I was in the ninth grade, freshman in high school, and every guy I knew had a crush on Shelley Fabray. <laughs>
13: now oh oh
0: Time for Gunsmoke, everybody. And boy, do I have one for you tonight. This, uh, this episode of Gunsmoke was originally broadcast back on uh, February 21st, 1953. This one is entitled Masuga, And uh, this was written by Anthony Ellis. So this was not a John Meston script. This was before John Meston became the principal writer on the show. And I'm trying to figure out what Mashuga means. And the way the episode is spelled, it's M-E-S-H-O-U-G-A-H. There is a Yiddish word that is very similar, and it's pronounced the same way, Mashuga, and it means crazy. And I can't help but think that that is what uh, the word, this Yiddish word, is what inspired the name of this particular episode. The only thing I'm going to say about this episode going in is that, uh, well, there's a couple things, actually. Uh, This is why they coined the phrase adult western. What you're going to hear tonight, you wouldn't have heard on Saturday morning uh, with Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and Gabby Hayes, believe me. This is an adult story tonight, and it is very, very moving. Uh, Not moving, very uh, uh, suspenseful, very, very dramatic. And another thing is, uh, we recall in listening to the history of Gunsmoke, the story of Gunsmoke, that um, they really started experimenting with sound patterns. And of course, the sound effects are just so outstanding, and I want to talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But also the use of silence. That was unheard of before Gunsmoke. And there is a a, a point in this show tonight that you're going to be listening to. And I took a stopwatch to it. And there is over ten seconds of absolute silence. And then you just hear for another second just a few small noises. And it is the most suspenseful scene in the show. And you'll know it when we get to it. And that was just uh, groundbreaking back in 1952 or 1953. So here we go. This one has all the regular guys. Like I said, it was written by Anthony Ellis. It has, uh, well, it has them all. Vic Perrin, Bob Sweeney's in this one. Luke Krugman. Uh, Lawrence Dobkin, uh, uh Anyway, here it is from 19, from uh, February the 21st, 1953. A very very dramatic episode of Gunsmoke, entitled Mushuga.
2: Around Dodge City and in the Territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of Gunsmoke.
5: Chester and I had left Dodge about nine that morning. It was a good day, clear with a snap in the air. The horses felt it, too, and they wanted to move fast. Not in the lope that we were holding them to. Chester took a couple of deep breaths and liked what he smelled.
1: It purely is a fine day, Mr. Dillon. A fine day.
5: I had some government papers to take over to Bill Holton at the post office in Pierceville, a place about 40 miles west of Dodge. Chester and I figured we'd stop overnight and ride back the next day. We followed the trail along the Arkansas and stayed with it as it left the river at Cimarron and cut across the
1: prairie. Looks like a big wagon train up ahead there at the crossing, Mr. Dillon.
5: Yeah, sure looks like it, Chester. Chester. Chester was right. The dust cloud we'd seen became 30 and more wagons taking the Cimarron Crossing. It was a shortcut of the Santa Fe Trail leading on southwest toward Raton Pass. We passed them, and our trail swung back to the Arkansas again. We rested, watered the horses a couple of times, and by afternoon, we could see the warehouse, the store, and the post office and a few of the other buildings of the town. It wasn't a big place, Pierceville. Maybe... Fifty people regular living there.
1: Funny. Oh? I don't know. It looks peculiar. Yeah? I just don't rightly know, sir. Just funny. It's
5: peculiar. You mean nobody around?
1: Yes, sir. That's what I was thinking.
5: That's what I thought.
1: Mr. Dillon, what do you figure them horses are doing down there? It ain't right they should wander around like that without it. Mr. Dillon, they got the saddles on, too.
5: The horses were down the street, and as they heard us, their heads jerked up and they wheeled about and trotted off away and around out of sight. And we stopped. We listened. There was nothing to hear. An empty place, nothing to see. But there was a feeling in the town. You couldn't figure what. We walked the horses over to Bill Holton's post office.
1: You think maybe everybody in town is sick, Mr. Dillon? No. No. Or maybe dead? No, couldn't be that. No crows nor buzzards. Bill. Hey, Bill. Mr. Dillon, look yonder the safe's open. What?
5: what? He wouldn't leave the place like this.
1: Come on, Chester. Here's a funny thing, Mr. Dillon. I swear it gives me the will it was. I've never seen anything like it, not a living soul in the whole... Hold it, Chester. Did you hear something? I'm not sure. Just wait a minute.
5: I thought I heard a kid crying. I didn't... by the store, Mr. Dillon, huh? Yeah. All right, keep your eyes open, Chester. Yes, sir. We'll take a look in the saloon first. The saloon was about 200 feet back up toward the end of town. But we didn't get that far. They stepped out behind us as we passed the livery stable, and we never had a chance to draw. Get
20: your hands up. Hi
5: We did, and I felt my guns lifted away. And then we got a look at what had crawled into Pierceville. There were three of them, and they were killers. A man gets to know the look in the eye of a killer. If you're lucky, you see it in time. Now we weren't lucky that day.
20: It's the law, Brill. Yeah. Where you from, Mr.
5: Dodge.
14: Dodge. Hey, that's Dylan. No. <laughs> it sure is. Are you, Dylan. Marshall Dylan from Dodge.
5: Yeah.
20: Okay. <laughs> you dirty. Shut up. You... <laughs>
5: You want to try that again? We will.
20: Don't fret yourself about
14: that, Dylan. Keep moving.
17: Take him to the warehouse, Bill?
14: Yeah. Be a better to get rid of him, if you ask me. I don't think so. Not right now.
20: He might be able to help. I've always wanted a U.S. Marshal to help me. <laughs> this one will. Take away his gun, you watch him. he would be on his belly, begging to
5: help. They took us to the warehouse, and we found out what had happened to the folks who lived in Pierceville. They were all in there. The kids, the six-month-old baby, the women, and the men. Inside, there were six more hard-faced men leaning against the wall near the door. Their guns held lazily in their hands. They'd taken over the whole town. And for some reason, they were holding it.
20: Shut up!
17: Every one of you! Shut up!
14: Lady, I told you to keep that kid quiet. You want me to do it for you? Shh. Dylan, be you quiet, know what,
1: I...
20: Chester. Yes. I'm asking you again. Which one of you shot my kid brother? You hear what I'm saying? Which one? All right. Maybe you know this fellow just walked in here. with This pal, he's a U.S. Marshal out of Dodge. His name is Dillon. I'm gonna make him countable for what you make up to do. When a man does a killing, he's countable. Ain't that so, Marshal? That's so? Okay. One of these folks killed my kid brother. And unless he talks up, there's gonna be a lot of killing around here. You get that? Now you talk to him, Dylan. You explain the law. I'm a fair man. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Don't nobody try nothing, because we'll be right outside. Don't try nothing.
5: Uh, Chester, there's Bill Holton over there. Come on.
9: Help us, us, Marshal. Hi, Matt. How are you, Bill? Uh, could be worse, I guess.
1: Mr. Holden, y- your face. What'd they do to you?
9: Uh, I was the first one they worked on. Will you tell us what's happened, Bill? Well, they rode in early this morning. Whole outfit. I figured them for trouble when I saw them. Straight off, I knew. A couple of them held me, knocked me around. Others grabbed three women, kind of for hostage, I guess. Brill, he's the leader. He cleaned out the safe.
5: What about the killing?
9: Three or four of our boys came up, saw what was happening, started in shooting, and these snakes hauled the womenfolk over to the post office door and kept them in front for shields.
5: Your boys stopped shooting, then?
9: Yeah, sure. Dropped the guns where they stood. Brill's kid brother was already dead then. Brill kind of went crazy. Swore he'd kill the women, burn the town. Then the outfit rounded up a couple more women, and after that, everybody else... None of us wanted to see the women hurt. I eh? guess we gave up too easy.
5: On account of his
9: brother, huh? He calls it murder, you heard. They've kept you locked up in here ever since. Yeah, yeah. He says he'll take us out two at a time and shoot us if we don't tell. Do you know who it was? Called? No. No. Li- like I say, three or four fellas were shooting. Even they don't know which one of them it was. Listen, Marsha.
8: Ha I- I'm Dave Maxon. I got a place outside of town. Uh, listen, we got to do something quick. Yeah, yeah, uh,
5: sure. Take it easy, will my, you?
8: My wife, that's her over there. She's, she's got the baby. We are coming this morning to get something at the store. You got to do all
15: something. All right, there, Mr. Right.
5: Maxim. Now, just take it easy, will you?
15: Look, there's 30 of us.
9: The men, we, 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 we could rush them. Some of us would get killed.
5: Now, listen to me. We got to
9: get to the
20: rush
5: partial... I'm thinking all of us would get killed. And that's not the way. We got to do something.
20: We just yeah, I know. Please, Okay, what's it gonna be? Dylan, step over here. Well, what do you say?
5: I don't know. Seems to me you came here and broke the law. It's the chance your brother took when he got killed.
20: That was murder. He was shot in the back.
5: Maybe he got turned around looking for somebody to kill himself. It was murder! Oh, I ain't gonna stand here arguing with you, mister. Who did it?
20: You think I'm bluffing? I tell you I ain't bluffing. If I have to wipe out this whole stinking
5: town, I'm gonna do it. That doesn't get your brother back. You and the habit of killing women and kids? You shut up. Okay.
20: Sanders, Carga, start with two of them. Take them
10: outside. That fella.
14: You. And him.
13: No. Oh, no, not Dave. No, No, you can't. No, not Dave.
5: Brill, you're crazy. You do this and they won't even hang you. You'll be torn to pieces. You won't be around to see it.
20: All right, go on, get him outside. Well, anybody got anything to say? Anybody gonna say who killed my brother?
4: I'll tell you something, you yellow
20: godless, coyote! <laughs> yellow yellow. What are
13: you doing there? Oh, what are you doing?
20: Anybody else? Okay. He don't count. We still need two. You, get away with him. Go on. They both of them outside.
5: They took the two men out, and we stood there, some of us looking at the body of Maxim. With his wife sobbing over him. Others staring at the closed door. But it had happened so quickly there wasn't time to think, to figure anything. And there wasn't any way to shut out the sound of what happened outside.
9: Oh no! No! I gotta do
13: something.
9: No, Bill, don't!
5: and another woman whose husband had died there. There was a quiet now in the warehouse. The killers didn't come back in again. Maybe for what they'd done, they didn't have the nerve right then. It takes nerve to look at the faces of the ones who are left. I found out that there'd been 12 of them who had ridden in. Now with the one who was gone, there were 11. I talked to the boys who had done the shooting at the gang. Two of them were willing to give up, but two others weren't, and I didn't blame them. We waited, Chester, Bill Holton, and me in a corner trying to make a plan. An hour went by. An early evening chill found its way into the warehouse. I think they'll do it again. Two more of us. Not for a while, maybe. Maybe. That kind will get liquored up first. It makes them brave.
1: I still think that maybe now's a chance to get outside, Mr. Dillon.
9: Yeah, it might be. What scares me, though, is they'll start with the women and kids. Yeah. There's always a chance somebody'll ride in, maybe see what's happening and send for help.
5: Like us, huh? Mm-mm.
9: Besides it'll take too long.
5: Oh,
1: no. <laughs> Mr. Dillon, let me try it. I don't want to hear no more of these women doing that.
5: Just let me think,
1: Chester.
15: They're coming back. All
5: right. All right. Come on, quick.
15: There's two of them. You can see through the crack.
5: Yeah. It's the ones that got our guns. Brill isn't with them. Chester, get on the other side of the door. Yes, sir. You, Mr. and Bill, behind yeah. me. Good okay, right, there. And when they come in, grab them in time. Now, look, I want everybody to keep real quiet. You understand? Yeah. All right, now wait until they're inside.
9: You think the others might be around the back?
5: I don't know. We'll take the chance. Whoever gets hold of them, don't let them yell.
14: Let me have a drink, will you? Yeah. What do you think? What? In there. How should I know? We shouldn't hang around too long. I figure we ought to start riding. You know, Brill, it was the kid. He thought a lot of him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, there's one woman in there, though. Did you see her? Tone? No, oh, no, with the old man, the pretty one, the little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we get her out here and the the others will talk. Might be. I, I ain't saying it will make them talk, but a lot of men in there are soft about women. What about Brill? Nah, he don't care. He wants to find out who killed the kid. May, maybe we can get him to talk. Sure. might be fun. Miss, no, 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 you over there. Come on. Uh, We won't hurt you. We want to talk to you outside. Come on. Uh, He said, come here.
17: She don't want it.
14: Cover me, will you? I'll go get her. All
13: right, now.
5: This one's got two. All right, which one of you here can handle a gun right? Donnelly? Donnelly? Yes, sir? Here. We'll split up the cartridges. Just to get over by the crack there and keep a lookout.
9: Yes, sir. One of the kids found an axe behind those empty crates, mate.
5: Good. See if you can find anything else. Yeah,
10: mate. Well, there's three of us now. Nine of them with guns.
5: Yeah, except that we know that and they don't. Donnelly, Donnelly, you're going to have to stay here. Chester and I will try to get some more guns. Now, you got a good chance to knock out a couple more of them if they come in. Shoot to kill them. You understand?
9: I understand. Wait a minute, man. I'm coming with you. No. Listen, I used to throw an axe pretty good. I I get close enough to one of them boys, I can split them. I'm coming with you. It's our only chance. You start shooting and the whole bunch will be on your neck. This is quieter.
5: Okay, let's go. You see anybody, Chester?
1: No, sir. He must be up at the slough.
5: All right, then, open the door. If we hear any shots back here, Donnelly, we'll come running. Take it easy now. We got outside and made a run over to some dugouts. Up the street, we could hear the killers still drinking their courage back. If it had just been the three of us against them, we might have taken a chance, but with the women and kids in the warehouse, we couldn't do that. We'd have to pick them off if we could, one by one. The first shot we fired, there was going to be trouble. Out to the left of the warehouse in the evening shade, I saw the bodies of the two men they'd shot down. A dog was moving around, whimpering. A couple of minutes went by, and then we started around the back and made our way up behind the saloon.
1: If we get in by the back door, Mr. Dillon... You think we could surprise
5: him? We can't take the chance, Chester. Not with only two guns. They get us and you know what'll happen. Yes, sir. One of them's coming out.
9: Look. Yeah? It's the fellow shot, Dave Max. He's heading this way. You think he's... Oh. Bill? Yeah? Think you can get him from here? A little closer, maybe. Not
5: from here. He's got two guns on him. We need him. Stay in line with the post. We'll cover you. Okay. I saw Holton's big fist tighten around the axe handle. They moved out and down the alley in line with the post. When the killer never looked up, he just stood there head down, swaying a bit. And then Holton stopped. His arm raised up, back. And the axe caught a gleam of light and must have thrown it into the killer's eye. He had just time to look up and see the thing before it caught him square. I,
9: I haven't done that for a long time. I only throw at trees and boards. I, I never did it to a man before. I never killed a man like that.
5: Chester, get the other gun. Yes, sir. All right, here. Here, Bill, take here. this. All right, we got four now. That ought to fix us. Now, look, I don't like what we're going to do, but it's the safest way. We go in there shooting, get them fast. In the leg, anywhere. Try not to kill, but don't give them a chance to shoot back. Yes, sir. Sure, man. You okay, Bill? You want to wait a minute?
9: I'm Okay.
20: Telling you, i you, ain't leaving until the man killed my brother gets it the same way. Yes. No. no, sir, I won't
13: I hear so uh, the discussion. Drink yeah. up,
20: we'll go on back now and see if they change their minds. It's all right with yeah. me. They got Marshal Dillon out this time. Yeah. and that deputy is. Yeah. Uh, too uh, many uh, marshals uh, around this
15: country, sure. anyway. <laughs>
20: That's enough! Oh, Keep your hands where
5: they are, Brew! Oh, All right, Chester, take their guns. Yes, sir. I'm arresting you for murder, Brew. The rest of them with you.
20: Killed my brother. Got him in the back. My brother, they murdered him!
5: You know something? If I wasn't a marshal, I'd do the same thing to you right now. It's too bad I can't. I hope it hurts when they hang you, Brill. And it was over. And I got the feeling like it never happened. That there hadn't been time for it to happen. But the dead men's women knew that it wasn't a dream. The next day, a half a dozen of the fellows, Chester and myself, took the outlaws back to Dodge. Most of them had been hit back in the saloon. One died in Cimarron before we could get him to the dock. But not Brill. He was alive when he went to Hayes City with the rest of the boys. I was there when they tried him. And I was there when they hanged him.
2: Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald... stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis... with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, Bob Sweeney... John Daner, Lou Krugman, Michael Ann Barrett, and Ted Bliss. Harley Bear is Chester. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow night, CBS Radio raises the curtain on a new dramatic treat, the Theater of Stars. On the network, it brings you Lionel Barrymore's Sunday Night Playhouse and thrilling stories of Escape. Tomorrow night, for the premiere performance over most of these same CBS radio stations, hear lovely Joan Fontaine in The Guardsman. It's a sprightly, peppery adaptation of Franz Molnar's great French comedy, A romantic experience you will certainly enjoy. Remember, Theater of Stars tomorrow night, premiere performance on CBS Radio. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
0: For a program that started off so peaceful, <laughs> Matt and Chester just really enjoying the spring weather as they're riding across the prairie. There, they meet up with a wagon train, and then all of a sudden, everything changes when they when they ride into that town. Boy, that was a uh, very suspenseful episode of Gunsmoke. I like at the beginning where Chester talked about uh, getting the Willywaws. That's one I've never heard before. The Willywaws. <laughs> <laughs> have to keep that one in mind when next time you get that creepy feeling that uh, it's that sort of uh, weakness in your knees that shiver up the back of your spine, what you actually have is the Willy Waws. Guess Anthony Ellis actually should be uh, credited with that since he wrote that script. He was uh, really good. He I, we think of him at least I think of him in old time radio mostly with Frontier Gentleman, because that was his show from beginning to end. He produced it, wrote almost all the episodes, and directed them. And it was such a good show. There was a couple that I didn't care for, and then all the rest were some of the best uh, radio programs ever produced. But he also went into TV. He was married, by the way, to Georgia Ellis, Kitty, on, on Gunsmoke. At least they were for a while. But he went into the early days of TV from radio because, of course, he came right at the end of radio. Frontier Gentleman was one of the truly last great shows on radio. And then he went in and started producing. He produced the Michael Shane television show, and he produced the Black Saddle television show. But listen to his writing credits in television. He wrote a number of episodes of Gunsmoke. See see if you remember some of these shows. Many of them I remember. Some of them I don't. He wrote uh, a couple episodes of The Monroes. Don't remember that one. A man called Shenandoah, I remember that one. He wrote uh, a Craft Suspense Theater, Man from Uncle, of course with Robert Vaughn and I remember remember that one. Arrest and Trial. I remember it, don't think I ever watched it. Temple Houston. Don't know that one. The Detectives, I remember that. Uh he wrote uh, several episodes of Black Saddle, 1959 to 1960. The TV show Northwest Passage, two episodes in 59. A TV series entitled Flight. Don't remember that one. He wrote one episode in 58. He wrote several episodes of the Zane Grey Theater. Of Zorro. He wrote two episodes of Zorro for Disney. The Court of Last Resort in 1957. Don't remember that one. Boots and Saddles, I remember. He did one episode of that in 57. The Silent Service. Does anybody remember that? I don't. That was one episode in 1957, the show Panic. I remember that. I don't think I ever watched it. Uh, Of course, you know, we're pretty young. That was in 1957, The Ride Back. He did uh, one episode of Climax. He did a couple of episodes of The Lone Wolf and two episodes of the TV series, Suspense. So he was a busy, busy boy in Hollywood, but very, very talented and... uh, that, uh, that script tonight really reflected uh, his talent. We'll have another episode of Gunsmoke next time we get together. <laughs> Alright, that's going to do it, folks. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.